Hey guys, this is Willie Whitebread from Rock Isn't Dead, It's Just Sleeping. Uh, myself and the audio slave, we just recorded our fourth uh, episode to the show. Uh, it's called A Dirty Little Thing Called Grunge. And we went over a lot of different kind of, some controversial, some very informative, some kind of tense content about the late 80s and 90s Seattle grunge quote, you know, loose quotes there, the grunge blow up that happened in Washington. Um, I didn't get to go as deep into Kurt Cobain as I kind of wanted. And, you know, that, that may seem a little bit of played out because Kurt, he's, he's a giant topic of conversation amongst everybody in the rock community. You know, he had a, he had a lot of fans. He had a lot of following. He had a lot of, you know, issues, so to speak, a lot of drama, there's just a lot of stigma behind him, and I spent a good portion of the last probably five, six years really dedicating a, a lot of focus to Kurt Cobain, and not, not just because of his music. He was a revolutionary in the sense of music, but he was also a revolutionary, if you pay attention, he was a revolutionary in an emotional sense, in a satirical sense, in a poetic sense. In, in, in many different senses. He was a he was a very, very stark pioneer in in many of those things. And I, I just uh, I didn't get to go as deep into his his story and my theories on his story in the last episode due to you know time constraints and things of that nature. <clears throat> so Kurt Cobain, born Kurt Donald Cobain in Aberdeen, Washington. He was born to Father Don Cobain, mother Wendy O'Connor. Now, I touched on a little bit as well, back in those times, and especially in these smaller kind of more rural areas, the, the concept of marriage and love and having kids and domestication, it's very cut and dry. You know, and I know this because I'm from a very small kind of country town myself, and that's, that's the mindset amongst a lot of these towns and a lot of people in these towns is you, you know, you go through high school, you play football, you play sports, and you get married to a good God-faring woman or a good God-faring man, and you pop out a couple of kids and you live with the golden retriever and the white picket fence and, and all of that jazz. You know, that's what you do. Well, with Kurt, that, that happened to him. You know, that happened for him. In the beginning, Wendy and Don were very young. They were, you know, if you if you read some interviews with with Wendy, she, you know, she didn't even understand what love was at the time. So it was kind of one of those relationships and and beginnings where where they're more so marrying a concept in a theory rather than themselves. Okay, so so Wendy O'Connor, very young, Don, very young. So out comes Kurt, right? Kurt, a very fun-loving, happy kid, normal life. He was, he was very, very accepting and very happy with the, with the mom and dad, you know, together (laughs) sort of household. He didn't, he didn't really want, you know, anything other than that. So when, when they divorced, when he was nine, that was absolutely crushing to Kurt. Um, and Wendy, Wendy, his mother kind of followed kind of followed the path of that you see sometimes in these young marriages. It's, it's, oh, well, I was too young for this. I never got to live my life. I never got to do the things that I wanted to do, experience the things that I wanted to experience. And so she's going to do the only thing that she knows how to do in the quickest 
way out of the situation and she's going to leave, right? She's going to divorce. So she divorced Don. That crushed Kurt, absolutely demolished him. And, and I kind of, I kind of relate to this and I think many people do as well. Uh, I relate to, to Kurt in this sense and the way he kind of touched me as a person is, you know, that, that same thing happened to me. My father, you know, married my mom and my mom was very, very young. And then out comes me and my mom did the exact same thing. You know, she, she held custody of me for, for a short amount of time and I was too much for her. And so I went to dad. And so essentially what, what happens there, and I'm no psychologist, trust me, I'm not, I'm just, I'm just more so more psychiatrist for that matter. I'm just more so talking out of experience, my own experiences and how, how I can relate to somebody like Kurt Cobain in that sense. So for me, at least it instilled a lifetime of, of abandonment issues, abandonment issues, uh, worthiness issues. Am I worthy for X, Y, and Z? And, you know, and it's all caused from a sense of rejection, you know? And I think that's what, that's what Kurt Cobain fell victim to. Um, he moved around from, from grandparent to uncle to aunt to, you know, numerous different households, even at one point ending up on the couch of one of his, it was either the principal of his school or the teacher, one of the teachers at his school, ending up on the couches of one of these, one of these, you know, role models or these teachers uh, that he was, he happened to be friends with, you know, their, their child. So with all of this, uh, you know, living back and forth and living with all of these different people, to me, it kind of instills, like I said, a sense of unacceptance, a sense of, I don't know where my home is, a sense of, you know, abandonment, a sense of constantly questioning whether or not you're worthy for something, if you're worthy for happiness, if you're worthy for, for adoration, you know, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're worthy of, of anything to be accepted at, at the bare minimum, right? And not only, not only did he, did he experience all of these different things, he, he really only wanted to be with his mother. And she was doing the, 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 you know, the dating, she was dating openly and all of these things. And Kurt, Kurt didn't really, he didn't accept it. You know, um, he was pushed away a lot by his mother and that, that really, that really affected him. I feel like, and, and with those, when you're raised in that sort of way, you start cultivating, you don't have any examples of, of healthy coping mechanisms or healthy tools that you can utilize to, to escape these things. And so he started finding obviously alternate tools. If you're not provided a tool and you need to do a job, you're going to find something to do it with, right? You're going to, you're going to find something to, you know, to dig that dirt, to sow those seeds, to sow those oats. You're going to, you're going to find, you're going to find something. And on top of all this, he was in school and nobody really understood him. He was intensely introverted. He was intentionally, you know, intensely artistic. And so he was and being born in a logging town, a very small community that was very unique. And I think that's where punk rock and, and he did what a lot of kids do and escaped through, through, you know, he wasn't into drugs at that time. So he started escaping through anything he could possibly find. And one of the things that he related to the most, because the content was punk rock is punk rock at the time is heavily influenced and heavily outward with the expression of you know, down with the parents, you know, I didn't get enough love. I didn't get hugged enough down with the government, down with this. We're pissed off. We're angry. 
you know, it's very much that that symbolized message. So he he started finding, you know, solace in anything really that he could. And and even with this too, being as artistic and and individualistic that this man was, he he got bullied a lot. Because you know how you know how it is in the you know, I'm not I'm sure it's not just in the United States in in you know, modern culture as a whole, and even even past culture, there's a, a strong sense of, you know, for a man, there's a, high, a strong sense of heterosexual masculinity, and any anything outside that, you know, like, uh, you know, you you like Alanis Morissette, or you know, you like the cranberries, or you like to draw, or you're different, or maybe you don't like to go outside and play football. You're labeled as a weirdo. You're weird because people don't understand. And then you start get receiving labels. You start getting bullied. You start receiving, you know, receiving. You're the pussy. You know, you don't understand. And you know, I don't understand why you're not this way. And you start receiving that from a lot of different ends as well, as he did. He received that. He received a lot of questioning from a lot of different people until he found solace in music. He found solace in something that gave him an escape, which was, you know, early on music, and then later on, you know, drugs. And, and Kurt also, he despised that, that masculinity complex. If you read, sorry, if you read a lot of his journals and things online that he's published and even look at a lot of his sculpture and art, he was very infatuated with, you know, creation of life and cultivation of things like that through, through anatomy books. And he was very into, to art and all of these things. And that's, you know, that's a, that's a great escape, but he, he wasn't receiving you know, necessarily what he needed because he was always in, in, in search of, of acceptance, or he was, he was always in search of, of, you know, somebody to, somebody to understand him or, or something, something of that nature, you know? So in my opinion, I think that, that this fueled a lot of his adoration and drawing to drugs you know, because the, the stigma that comes behind this rock star lifestyle is, you know, fast life, rock and roll, all the money, all the girls, Kurt respected women, you know, above all else. He respected women. He loved women. You know, this is, these are ideas that he held very high, very high regard. So he wasn't into that. And I think, I think that's why a lot of his downfall with Courtney Love was because he didn't, that was the only woman that accepted him. You know, that was the only woman that accepted him for him. And at the time, I believe that he thought that she was progressing him in a positive sense, if that makes sense. That he was, you know, she was progressing, helping him be more of him, which in reality, she was a drug addict as well. She slept around, you know, there's, there's all sorts of you know, sleaze online about her sleeping with Billy Corgan, you know, fucking around with this person, fucking around with that person, shooting heroin when Francis Bean Cobain was born. You know, they went through a trial with with Child Protective Services where where Francis actually got taken away from them because of her doing heroin and because of his habits and all these different things. And I think it all honestly boils down to having the lack of example and lack of tools necessary to construct healthy coping mechanisms in life. And, and the reason I have these theories is because I did it for many, many years. I lived somewhat of a similar story. You know, obviously I'm not, I'm not attempting to, 
you know, compare myself to an absolute savant and a, and a broken soul as Kurt Cobain is. But like I, I mentioned before, uh, my mother did the same exact thing that his mother did. You know, she, you know, gave me away. She was never around. And, and that, that really does create an absolutely awful complex within a person. And, you know, being raised by myself, he was raised by himself. He wasn't, he didn't have a, he couldn't have gone down to the local store and, and fucking bought a role model, you know? So, (laughs) so I can only imagine how much, how much worse it was for him. And, and, and with that, like I, I mentioned, he, he hated school. He hated people. He, you know, he didn't have, he didn't have much of a social life because he was, a, he was stuck in his own head. And, and I think when he, when he came, came out with Bleach, the first album, I think that was the first sort of glimpse that he had into the world of acceptance. He thought he associated, but because a lot of people were hearing him, that he was accepted. And this, this probably caused a little bit of false, false, uh, hope, hope in his eyes, you know, uh, because later on you could see in his interviews and things that he writes and the things that he talks about that he hated the success. He, it was almost like a, like a carrot, the carrot and the horse theory, you know, that he has the, the success and he's going, he's chasing the carrot of acceptance, but it's never going to happen because he doesn't understand what acceptance truly is. And he's never had a role model for acceptance and the acceptance that he thinks he has at home with Courtney Love was false. You know, she perpetuated the, the drug filled, you know, rage within him. And she, rather than, you know, help him say, Hey, you know, Kurt, I probably wouldn't do this. You know, let's, let's maybe go take a class or let's go talk to somebody or, you know, let's, let's do something constructive with ourselves rather than sitting around banging heroin, you know, because for a lot of years I utilized alcohol to be somebody I was not, you know, alcohol helped me be something I, I wanted to be a depiction that I held over my own head and a golden depiction of myself that I held out in front of me. It helped me sort of attain that goal you know, as a front. And I think, I think that drugs did the same thing for him because he mentions also in a lot of his songs and a lot of his writings, you can see a lot of satirical, well, what we think is satirical may actually be literal, uh, writings, you know, songs like Mr. Mustache on bleach. It, it talks, it kind of attacks the, what we spoke about earlier, the overabundant progression of heterosexual masculinity that he hated. Oh, so much, or, you know, uh, songs like Penny Royalty and the In In Utero album. He talks about Leonard Cohen and Leonard Cohen, if you don't know him, he's a very, very dark and brooding uh, artist. He's very, very dark and brooding. His stuff can be a little bit muddled to get through at times. Um, But he mentions also that he's anemic royalty. You know, anemic royalty to me seems like somebody, he's saying that people are putting me on this pedestal but I don't deserve it. And I think that's a lot of why, I think that's a lot of why he killed himself. You know, he may or may not have killed himself. There's theories that go by that Courtney had something to do with it. I even believe a couple and I go down the rabbit hole, uh, you know, back and forth. But even if say, say it comes out in 10 years that he didn't kill himself. Okay. He still struggled with these issues. Okay. Cause he doesn't, he didn't have the tools. 
He just didn't. And he also, he, he hated being humiliated. And he had a strong sense of anxiety and a strong sense of, you know, being compelled to not let these people down. And it scared the shit out of him. Honestly, like it, it really just scared the shit out of him. And, and another example of this would be in utero, um, the record producer uh, that, that of Sub Pop Records that came out with his stuff, Jack, he, he removed a song under Kurt's request called uh, I Hate Myself and I Want to Die. That was literally the name of the song. <laughs> so if that's not foreshadowing or a cross silent cry for help, but nobody gave a fuck, you know, Dave, Dave Grohl, he was, a, he's one of the most incredible musicians and he's, he's an insanely nice guy. And he, you know, he's just, he's, he's actually known to be one of the nicest guys from rock history. And then Chris Novoselic, he was married at the time and he had his own thing going on with his political stuff. So the only person Kurt really had influencing him around, because when you have a band like that, everybody's getting pulled in 16 different directions and you can't even relax. You can't even go to the grocery store to relax or to, you know, shop for groceries or go to a coffee shop and have a nice cup of coffee and relax. You can't even do that. So the only person he had sitting there was a junkie. <laughs> in essence, that was may or may not have been, you know, depending on what you believe, may or may not have been cheating on him at the time. So, <clears throat> so yeah, that's that's a little bit of my my thoughts with Kurt Cobain and why Kurt Cobain may or may not have done it. You know, because we saw we saw the first glimpse of that after his uh, after his overdose on Rohypnol in Rome. And after he returned from Rome, he got checked into rehab. He ran away from rehab. Nobody could find him. And and next thing you know, uh, the man's lying on the floor dead. So with this, and I guess my ultimate point here is that, you know, not everything is or may be as it seems. Because I know it's really easy to get into the mindset of, you know, oh, he was rich. He was fucking successful. Like, why, why would he have killed himself? You've never seen anybody frown on a Ferrari or on a pair of brand new jet skis, would you? But the confliction that I believe resided within him is the most important part to understand and to, and to focus on with that. You know, he, you know, his abandonment issues, his masculinity issues, his self-esteem issues, and his very prompt feeling of need to, to be accepted. And, and is also very strong feeling of he wasn't worthy of people's adoration, hence the being anemic royalty. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to share a little bit. I didn't, I didn't believe that I got to go into as much depth with my thoughts. Not that you guys give a shit, but, uh, I didn't think I get to, I got to go into as much depth with my thoughts on Kurt Cobain or his, his past situations or, or even his, his eventual demise. Um, so Anyway, we're going to be coming out with a new episode next week, so stay tuned, and I hope you enjoy.